Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Earners, it's 2021, the year of execution. In order to execute, we have to have information. And the number one place to get the information, EYL University. Shadi, tell them what we bring in. Yes, EYL University has been reloaded. We already have 100 past webinars. We already have weekly webinars. We already have our private investment group on Facebook. We already have monthly financial planning calls. We already have bi-weekly real estate calls. But what has been added to EYL University this year is access to MG the Mortgage Guy's Home Buyer's Blueprint, which walks you through the home buying process from A to Z. And what has also has been added, breaking news alert. Everybody always asks to be in our group chat. And when we talk about all the investment plays that we are making, we are going to have investment calls, group chat calls with me, Troy, and the whole team and walk you through our plays that we're making and give you insight into our portfolios. All of that for 75% off. That's right. We are doing a blowout sale, 75% off for a limited time only. Go to EYLUniversity.com right now and sign up. See you on the other side. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop.
So you started a business, um, the Ebrail Commerce. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? So basically, none, something else I like to teach entrepreneurs, especially the ones that's coming out of the corporate world, everybody feels like I got to create something new. Like I got to get into an industry that I see everybody else doing. Right. Um, but what I realized is like, man, if this company is paying me 100 grand a year to do this job, there has to be a smaller business out there somewhere that needs these same services, need the same skill set. And I can just go out and provide the service for them. And instead of being their employee, I become their consultant. Hmm. So that's what E-Rail Commerce is. I took all that experience I had, all those connections I had with the railroad, all these oil and gas companies. And I found all these smaller companies that need or want to get a contract with an Exxon because mm-hmm. Exxon has over 10,000 rail cars. Every one of those cars has to be maintained, has to be repainted, has to be cleaned, has, has to be maintenance done to them. They have to store them when they're not using them. They gotta park them somewhere. So what I do is I help all those companies that provide those services get in the door with Exxon, get the contract, mm-hmm. and then they perform all the work and I just get commissions off of the deals. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you, you get like the relationship, man. You, you I am. Bridge. I'm basically brokering. Mm-hmm. Basically brokering and I have everything set up with with my clients to where whatever contract I help them get, I get paid. But So E-Rail is not the only um, form of consultation that you, you're providing, right? Don't you have a few other consultation things that you do? Well, I mean, in general, I just try to help entrepreneurs get started, you know? Because, okay. I mean, I, I was so lost when I was trying to get out, out of the work world, and I was like, man, nobody was really here to guide me and teach me, so I use my, my social media platform, and, you know, I use my that network and that audience um, as, as my way to give back, you know, so anybody that has help, wants help with it, getting started in entrepreneurship, I try to teach them the basics, the kind of stuff we're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get them as far as I can, and then I try to network with someone that's actually in their field and try to get them to get under that person. You know, oh, so you're them. providing the mentorship yeah. by the con- by consultant? Right. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consultant is something that we also haven't spoke about yet in this podcast, but mm-hmm. it's extremely important, and it's a very profitable business as well. It is. Yeah. Consultants, you have consultants in school industry, you have mm-hmm. consultants in political industry, you have consultants in all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Can you explain the importance, a lot of times, especially for small business owners, this is mm-hmm. the problem with small business owners as compared to business, big business. Mm-hmm. They have a small way of thinking. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the power of consulting. They don't mm-hmm. understand the power of marketing. They don't mm-hmm. understand. They just want to just do the work. Mm-hmm. You're, it's like running on a treadmill. You can only get so far, right. right? When you get enough wind behind you, now you can start to fly. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the power of consulting, mm-hmm. like what, what, what can somebody get value out of, out of, out of hiring a, a, the, the right consultant? So there's only two ways you're going to learn. You're either going to bump your head and you're going to lose time and money or you're gonna pay for the knowledge, period. There's no other way you're gonna learn, right? So you hire a consultant, the consultant is someone that's an expert in that field, that's already got experience doing what you're trying to do, um, or they can help you with a particular area of the business that, that you can't fulfill. Like if, if you have a great product, but you don't know how to get it in front of enough people, you, you need a marketing consultant to come in and help you get it in front of the right people. Um, and so it, it, it's basically a way for you to, you can add a whole department to your business without actually having to hire an employee. It's a consultant, you know, that consultant can either be somebody that's paid by the hour or it could be somebody that I always recommend you get performance based consultants, which means they work off a of commission. So mm. if they don't produce for you, they don't make any money. Mm. Right. So that, that gives them a vested, a vested reason to get in there and work hard and get something done. And on, on the flip side of that, that, like you said, that's a very lucrative business too because it's a business where it doesn't require you have to invest a lot. You can work from home and be a consultant and people are actually paying you just for the knowledge that you already have. 
you know, so you can take that corporate experience. You could, man, you could have been flipping burgers at McDonald's for five years, but guess what skill set you got? You know what it takes to onboard a new employee. So you can go to other small restaurants and say, Here, here's the McDonald's model. I'm going to teach you how to run a McDonald's model for your restaurant. And that's something that anybody can do. Like, as right. you're saying it, I'm thinking, like, especially in the education field and especially mm-hmm. in the restaurant field as well. Mm-hmm. It's like people always try to figure out how can they make passive income, mm-hmm. right? And they don't realize that they have a skill set already. Mm-hmm. They're just overlooking it, right? right? They're not maximizing their potential. Well, this is one of the things mm-hmm. you talk about multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. That is the average millionaire has seven yeah. streams of income. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he has seven jobs or even right. seven businesses. It's that they're maximizing their skills, maybe one or two businesses. Mm-hmm. So as you said, you can be a teacher, mm-hmm. right? But you're an expert in that field Mm-hmm. If you're a really good teacher, now you can be a consultant yep. to school districts, mm-hmm. yep. write curriculum, things mm-hmm. of that nature, right? And mm-hmm. that's something that anybody can do, as Troy said, even if you, you, you're still an employee, mm-hmm. you can be an entrepreneur and create your own consulting yeah. business. And yeah. it, the, the amount of time, it doesn't require as much, right? right. You can say, no. these are my hours, you dictate the hours, yeah. and you dictate the fees. Yeah, and, right? and a lot of times you're helping different customers and clients with the same problem. Exactly. So you already know it, like in and out, you know? For your, so you, for your consulting business, how did you market yourself to, to your customers or clients? How do you, how do you Man, the most powerful tool I use is LinkedIn. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about LinkedIn is because when you, when you put yourself on there as a business owner, you give yourself whatever title you want, you know. So I I, I gave my t- it's just my it's me and one partner, mm-hmm. but my title is executive VP. Mm-hmm. So that puts you in a whole different arena when yeah, you get yeah, on. They there. look at you like oh, right. that's yeah. it's, it's, it's all perception. Yeah, that's it's all perception. That's a fact. So then when I go to when, when I see a company that I'm trying to get a, a connection with. And I go to the CEO and request to connect with them. They were like, oh, it's another executive that wants to connect yeah, with Yeah, we got an exec that wants to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's all it is, it's positioning. And it's, it's all about you know, what you post. I, post. I repost a lot of Wall Street Journal type articles that are related to the industry. Um, any type of insight that I get from um, anybody else that's in the industry, I'll, I'll, I'll make a post about that. So then you kind of position yourself as a subject matter expert. So then a lot, what happens is eventually enough people are watching your posts to where when they have a problem, they come to you instead of you having to go out and ask for business. Mm. And the, another great thing I like about LinkedIn is because you can type in any job title you want. So I'm in, in supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. I type in director of supply chain, LinkedIn is gonna give me a list of people with that title. So now all I do is go connect, 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 you know? And then that builds your audience because people go to check you out to see who, who is this that's asking to link with me. And then my, my network on LinkedIn is like 17,000. It's all. Uh, industrial product supply chain people from all these big companies. Yeah, you got you got that's a lot. Yeah, of, that's a lot. Well, man. to LinkedIn, yeah. you got to accept every single person, right? Yeah, but well, th- yeah, the person has the person has to uh, approve the connection. But if your page is set up to where it looks like, oh, this is somebody that I might want in my network, then you're good, and that, that's the whole purpose of you know making sure that you you set yourself up right mm-hmm. on there with the right titles, mm-hmm. right? You send in you send uh, was it in mail, right? Mm-hmm. They send you in mail, so you, tr- you both. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm both. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I met with a guy. Uh, matter of fact, he flew in from Arkansas last week because he's working with a private development group that does industrial development, and they're looking for new locations to build new rail terminals. And that's part of my job when I work in the railroad, so that's part of my consulting too. So he literally reached out to me because he had been seeing me make these posts on uh, LinkedIn about railroad development and railroad terminals. So he, this guy literally flew in for the day just for that meeting. Wow. So you are using your resources efficiently. And like yeah. a lot of times people don't realize that. Like mm-hmm. they're just on LinkedIn or they're just on Facebook. Mm-hmm. 
just to put pictures up and not networking and not realizing right. that yeah. how powerful a tool mm-hmm. they have at their fingertips. Right. Well, well, LinkedIn is is only for networking, mm-hmm. but I got to get a better. I actually got to do a better job on LinkedIn because I don't know. I just don't feel too comfortable with it. I mm-hmm. feel like it's um kind of boring. I think I have a page it, too. <laughs> it, 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 it is boring, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like Facebook, but it's for business only. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's powerful. So yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you, you can... It, you would be surprised the people that don't have a lot of LinkedIn followers that are like powerful people. Like, I mean, like producers, executive producers at these big stations, they may have 500, 1,000 connections and you go request it and it's approved the next day, you know? But mm. it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a back door to get the connection that usually you have to call a corporate headquarters and talk to an administrative person and ask a scheduled time to meet this person. You just go to LinkedIn and find them. So when you need, it's like getting you past all those steps, exactly. right? Like the all the to, gatekeepers. Yeah, the you gatekeepers. You bypass all the gatekeepers. If the person's on LinkedIn. If they're on there. Yeah. But every, everybody's yeah. on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is the, one, is the most powerful search thing too because like, mm-hmm. so when you search somebody's name on Google, the first thing that comes up is LinkedIn. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's like the first thing. It's like, mm-hmm. a, it's like your online resume pretty mm-hmm. much. It is. And um, so I don't know how they, how they work that with the algorithm, but mm-hmm. they, they always are on the top of your thing. So yeah. you kind of have to have a LinkedIn page mm-hmm. if you're doing anything in business. Mm-hmm. It's like almost mandatory. Yeah, I agree. I got to update mine. So. Yeah, man. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So that was good info. So now, yeah. in the last time we want to go into real estate, we're going to talk all thing real estate. Yeah, you got big things going on. That's what you're yeah, focused yeah, on yeah, now. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. All right. So, in the last segment, we're going to talk about real estate, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. What made you go into real estate, first and foremost? Like I said, I kind of fell into it with the, corp- with the, with the, the corporate job and leaving. And I had bought a house at the first gig. And when I moved back to Houston, I couldn't sell it. So, um, I had to get a property manager. Property manager rented it out. I was making like 400 bucks a month and I wasn't working at all for it. I was like, this is, this seems like something lucrative. And you know, the more you research real estate, it's like 80% of first time millionaires are made in real estate. But this is at a relatively young age, right? Like your first property was at 22? Yeah, 22. That's pretty young, man. Yeah, 22. <laughs> man, so that was that was kind of a, a, a blessing through having worked with the railroad while I was in school. Okay. I had enough tenure with them to actually qualify for a moving package Ooh. so when you work with a corporate company when they move you they they either uh give you a stipend or they give you like a down payment towards a house oh yeah and so they gave me the down payment and, and instead of me getting an apartment and pocketing the money they decided to get a house so but you could have took the stipend i could have took the stipend you thought yeah. the long-term plan yeah yeah yeah. Inge- yeah i mean you're not an engineer by mistake <laughs> nah, man, i know yeah yeah so mm. all right but so mm. then how did that transition to you doing what you're now as far as you're developing. So, okay, so when I moved to Houston, um, I, I decided I wanted to go really hard um, on the, in the real estate game. And so one of my, my line brothers, my, my frat brother, worked for Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people, mm-hmm. and he was their property manager in the hood. And so I kind of told him what I wanted to do, and so he ended up plugging me with one of the contractors that Homevestors used, and this guy was flipping 20, 30 houses a month for them, doing actual rehab work. And so he kind of became my mentor, and we would pick houses. Um, I would flip them. Of course, he would make money off of the rehabs. And so that's how I kind of got into the real estate game in 2009. I would sell some of them. I kept some of them for rentals. And I, I was doing that for about five years. But then I got tired of having rental property. I mean, I know everybody says that that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to buy a home to live in and have rental property. But, man, um, owning rentals sucks. Yeah, what are some of the, the downfalls? Okay, so a lot of people, so a, a good profit margin on a rental property is three or 400 bucks a month, Okay, right? But you have one month, say like a tenant moves out, and then it takes you a month to find another tenant. That's, and if your mortgage payment is $1,200, that's literally three months of your profit gone. 
if you got to make a repair, that repair is a thousand dollars. That's another two and a half months of profit gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so for me, it was like, and then you have this debt. You owe, I was owing like a hundred, hundred twenty on each house, and so now you got debt and you got these small profit margins, and it's like, okay, I can see how long term I can continue to do this and make money slowly, but dealing with tenants, tenants tearing stuff up. You know, it, it just wasn't it wasn't something that I enjoyed doing. What type of properties were you looking for? Was it single family homes or yeah. multi family or yeah, mixed property? Yeah, at that point in time, I didn't qualify for anything like extravagant, so okay. I was just buying little single family homes. And I'm saying there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, you know, everybody can make money in, in any industry, but for me, it's just like I want to do something bigger. And so I guess I continued to flip. I started realizing, you know, this narrative about gentrification happens over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I know a few of us that are flipping. I don't know anybody that's really trying to get into the development game and, and you know, kind of change the narrative so we have some control over that. So 2013, that's when I decided to kind of get off into that. So you, were you buying land in 2013? Was that the next step? I didn't know what I was going to buy. I just knew what I was going to do was stop flipping and try to figure it out. Okay. So I just started talking about it. And, man, it came full circle. That same, my same line brother that um, helped me get into the game, he had an old tenant reach out to him that used to be in one of the properties and say, hey, I'm over here in Fifth Ward and the landlord over here isn't taking care of the property. I think he's on drugs. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, what he heard was opportunity. So he reached out to me and he's like, man, I think we got an opportunity to go pick up a few houses over here. So I went to go meet with the guy, ended up being a whole block. Mm-hmm. Had a grocery store on it. How much was that? Um, okay, true story at the time, this was in the hood it wasn't worth nothing. It was probably worth 300,000, the whole block. The whole block, the everything, entire block. Everything was kind of run down. <laughs> but it's in the area where you tell somebody I'm about to go spend 300,000, they're like, man, are you crazy? Right. It's the hood. You know? It's the hood. Yeah. Yeah, nothing but drugs and prostitution over there. You're going to waste your money, you know? Um, so what I ended up doing to talk him into doing the deal, I offered him 400,000 for it. So, but of course I didn't have the cash to pay 400,000. So he actually had inherited the property from his dad. His dad was like a real estate tycoon. Had like 26 blocks over there. Mm. 26 blocks? 26 blocks. Whoa. 26 blocks. And this block happened to be the one that they gave this this uh, this kid. And he was like the the horrible kid. You know what I mean? He botched it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, so this was the one he had. And he still wasn't taking care of it. So I offered him an owner finance scenario where I was like, I'll give you 10% now. What's owner finance? So that's when the, the instead of you, instead of going to the bank, the owner that actually doesn't have any debt on the property will let you make payments over time to buy the property from him. Mm. So I, I gave him 10% of what we agreed to, the 400000 so $40,000, which came from me selling one of my rental properties. And then, uh, then that allowed me now to control that whole block of property. And it had the grocery store on it, and it had the houses, but everything was really run down. So instead of fixing it up, what I decided to do was do um, parolee housing, for felons mm. because it's really hard for them to find anywhere to live. Mm-hmm. So I would rent them out a single room in, in each one of the houses, charge them 350 a month or something that they could afford because of the type of jobs they could get, you know, they, they didn't have much income. Or Was that like a halfway house? Pretty much like a halfway house, okay. yeah. It's just, they call them SRO houses. And then, yeah. so the, the state pays you that, right? Sometimes, some, sometimes if it depends on what, what program they're in, they get some type of housing assistance, but most of the time, no, they had to go get a job. Okay. So that's what made it really good because you talk about a low a low risk tenant. You got somebody that's happy to be out of prison. They was in prison for a nonviolent offense. I didn't do violent people. Um, they had to keep a job and they had to keep somewhere to stay. And 99% of the places wouldn't even allow them to live there. So they were like, 
they were like built in good uh high high revenue for me you know what i mean as as collectively in each house whereas i could have rented that whole house for 500 dollars to a regular family now i'm making 11 1200 off that same house you know with this program Cause and because you, you were renting the rooms renting them individual rooms okay. and most of them had trades so they were like carpenters electricians plumbers they all learned their trades in prison yeah so anything went wrong i just drop off materials they would fix it <laughs> oh, you know wow. what i mean the wind is built in <laughs> and, and they were just happy to have somewhere to live you know yeah so yeah so that worked out that was a win-win man um and then that was 2013 14 15 i did that in 2016 redevelopment kind of started in the area that I was in. Something else that I, I always watched too, even when I was flipping, is what the city's plans were. And you can go to the, the, the planning department's website and it'll tell you what they're planning to do five years, 10, 10 years down the road. And that's a lot of the game that we don't pay attention to. Mm. But you know, the other groups pay attention to Where that. Where can you find that information at? Usually you can just Google it. Like, 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 like planning and development department or, or urban planning for whatever city you're in. And it'll pull up on their website. You know, it's usually a .gov type website. Um, and it'll have their, all their information. A lot of it's talked about at city council meetings. So you can look up city council meeting minutes. Mm -hmm. And it'll tell you about anything big, any developer that's proposing to do something in a certain area. All that has to be public, publicly announced. So, but what I, what I noticed about Houston was that everything was going counterclockwise around downtown. And the, the fifth ward neighborhood that I was buying in was the last quadrant. So I knew eventually it was going to come. I just didn't know when, you know. And so, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And um, 2016, another guy started building, so then I figured it was time for me to try to figure out how to get it done. So what is your, all right, so what's your philosophy on gentrification? What's your, what's your, how do you feel about that? So gentrification has a very negative connotation in our community because we are never the ones revitalizing that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the people that are revitalizing are looking out for themselves or their own groups. It's not that they don't care about us, it's that they have their own personal agendas that they're, that, they're, right. that they're moving forward. And so we can either continue to watch it happen or we can participate, right? And we can participate in a way that we kind of control the narrative of what's being built, who it's being built for, and what happens to the surrounding community that we're building in, right? So my goal with my project was, you know, most of the time when you hear about black builders um, in black neighborhoods, it's low income stuff. And I feel like that's great. Like we do need to look out for the low income people, mm -hmm. but we gotta attract the people that were successful, the people that made it out those neighborhoods and back to those neighborhoods because we need that income. We need that demographic if we ever want a grocery store to come back. We can't sit and depend on the government to do that. Mm -hmm. And right now what happens is the people that are successful, they go and buy houses in the suburbs, right? It's not because they don't wanna move back, it's because they have no options. Mm -hmm. So my focus was, well, let me start building some some market rate stuff, not low income housing stuff, but try to attract these working professionals back to the neighborhoods with a high quality product that they, you know, they're gonna pay the same price they're paying in the suburbs. And in the city, your value is gonna appreciate a whole lot more, especially when that neighborhood starts to revitalize. And that's kind of what you've done with, you know, the land that you bought in 2013. Right. Which is your, the most recent development that you worked on. It's a mm -hmm. 14, um, is it 14? Yeah, 14 units. 14 yeah. units. 14 individual townhouses. townhouses yeah. yeah, you wanna talk about that, how, how that came about? Yeah, so, that, so this is the same property that I bought with the grocery store and everything. Okay. So in 2016, I decided to just tear everything down. Uh -huh. When I saw, there was another developer that was building houses deep in the neighborhood, and he was selling them for 250 before they were complete. He wasn't even listing them on MLS. Mm. So I'm like, so that tells me that there's a mindset, there's enough people out there that are willing to save $100,000 because everything else inside the city loop, was like inside 610 loop, was two, 350 or more. 
So, but people would rather save that money and live in a neighborhood that was still pretty rough. So I was like, well, if he can do this deep in the neighborhood, I'm right on the feeder to the highway. You know, I got a view of downtown. I should be able to do something with my property too. And so that's when I, I decided I'm gonna move forward with this initiative to try to build these townhouses. And um, it took a lot of work. It took me building the right team because I had no idea what I was doing. Goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the consultant. I had to find the right team, the right, I had to find a builder that had enough experience that was willing to kind of uh, lend his knowledge and, and time to me, of course, for a fee, you know, had to pay him to be my consultant, basically teach me how to do the first project. Um, but that's what I did. So what's the, what's, what's your your plans now as far as how many projects are you are you working on? Like what's your, what's your vision look like for the next five years? Next five years, I want to finish this project, which will probably be finished next year, and I want to continue to build uh, the same model in the same neighborhood. Um, I, I kind of want to make this like a, a real world example that can be duplicated in other cities. Like we can go in, we can buy the land, and I didn't mention my entire team is from the community too. Right. So like my, my my builders, my real estate brokers, my insurance brokers, um, everybody. The contractors as well. Contractors as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm working with a black builder, so. And it's, it's not just anybody, it's people that got good reputations, but we kind of always silo ourselves and we never really collectively work together on stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and the goal, and the most important part of all of this, whether you're flipping another industry, a lot of people in this wholesaling or building new construction, is ensuring that you put the product in front of the right end buyer. Because if you're flipping, you call yourself buying a block, but if you're not watching who you're selling to on the back end, right. you're still gentrifying the neighborhood. Yeah. So my, my goal is really to educate us on, like, like I said, the working professional on why it's better for you to buy over here. Yeah. So I'm building the first three now, got uh, contracts on two of them. Both of them are young, pro young black professionals, basically, oil and gas professionals. No, townhouses, right? The townhouses, yeah. Uh, I got a, a dentist, a, a black dentist from, from Dallas that's looking at buying one, you know. So it's, it, it's all about making sure that we, we, we create that model because right now that gentrification narrative is the only thing that's 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 real mm -hmm. and for our people we do better when we see examples of something that's actually working and so when when, when this is complete i want to make sure that this model gets as much exposure as possible it's not about me making all the money i want people in other cities to do the same thing you know to say it's possible we really can't do this and this is the example how do you evaluate like what area you want to i know you say you look at the like the city plans mm -hmm. but do you have like a set Formula is just kind of like you just know the area and you just kind of have a good feeling because you can buy in some bad neighborhoods and they don't get better, right? right? So it's like, I mean, how do you know like this is this is probably going to get better? Uh, it, it's it's all about your network because you got to be talking to people in the industry. So the a lot of the, the the realtors that I work with they work with builders, and you know you got to have a network of commercial realtors around you too because they know where the commercial developers are looking at what areas they're looking at. So it's a lot of it's word of mouth in addition to what you see on the city plans, you know. Um, but yeah, you 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 got to have your foot in the door. You got to be on the inside, understanding where they're moving, and that and you just kind of ride that wave along with them. Yeah, a, a few years ago, y'all had one of the most horrific hurricanes in United mm -hmm. States history. Mm -hmm. um, what impact have you seen since then on the real estate in Houston? Man, you know, um, for it, it, it was a, a, a period of time where the the houses in the areas that did not get flooded, mm -hmm. the values went up um, tremendously, or they were getting bought up really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it, I, I didn't see too much of a negative impact. Um, the only thing that I did see is a, a, a shift in ownership, where the people that didn't have the proper flood insurance, who lost their homes, um, had to become renters for a while, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, the investors 
who had the cash on the table were able to pick up a whole bunch of properties for a lot less than what the values were. Um, not, anything under like $200,000 was still selling as it was rehabbed, but anything above that $200,000 mark, um, a lot of it sat on the market. A lot of it's still here now. We had a lot of out-of-town investors that bought that thought that they could buy these flood houses and flip them and sell them really quickly. But the people in those price points were not comfortable, you know, setting up their homestead again in an area that just flooded like that. Mm. So, so what is what's your outlook for, for for Houston for anybody that's interested in maybe coming in and investing? Um, optimistic for the city? Very optimistic, man. Houston um, the, on the next census, they're going to announce that Houston is now larger than Chicago. So it's going to be third, number three. It's going to be the third largest city. Yeah, yeah. And, and Houston was least hit by the recession uh, because we didn't have the big inflation in home prices that other markets had. Um, when you look at like international investment as far as real estate in the United States, Houston is number one, mm -hmm. whether it's coming from China, Australia, Nigeria, uh, anywhere, basically. They, they invest here because if you're looking at the three or four biggest cities, the real estate is still cheaper here. Yeah. And like I said, and the, the economy was not hurt as much as the other big markets by the recession, so it's the safest bet. Um, not, not only that, but you got more people moving to Texas every year. And like I said, Houston is rapidly growing, so the, the real estate outlook is is strong for, for this market. I mean, there's two things that I, I, I believe are kind of the wave of the future for investing is either tech or it's real estate because no matter, how, as technology will advance and replace people and jobs, but people always have to have a place to live. I mean, that's never gonna change. Yeah. And I think it's the biggest city land-wise. Land yeah, yeah, yeah right? it is, yeah, it is. Square footage, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot more room for it to be developed. It is, it is. And what it is, is like it's, it's, as it's, it's spreading out and it's consuming all the smaller towns around it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, they're all merging into one big municipality. You think a part of that, that population increase is due to the influx of people who were misplaced after Hurricane Katrina, or? I mean, we saw a wave of that. Okay. But not, I mean, a lot of it, no, it's just business, it's just, it's just it's attractive, you know. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of people that move from high, high real estate markets like California. They sell their house out here, and you know it could be a regu regular eighteen hundred square foot house in California. They sell it for one point two million. Come out here and buy a mansion. Yeah, you know. So a lot of people transition down here because just the cost of living is cheaper. Mm. Yeah, oh, sure. So, nah, thank you, man. Thank, oh, man, thank no you, problem. thank you for rocking with us. My graduates from my school, being Forbes backdrop, backdrop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.